So when Lily, our oldest, was entering her senior year of high school, I said to her, I said, hey, we're going to call this senior year with dad. She's like, what does that mean? I said, well, I put together a little plan, you know, I put together like, what's this senior year with dad going to look like? And we, you know, we, we put some things together, like spiritually, some things we want to do together, like relationally, some things we want to do together and read some books and do some scripture reading and have some conversation, have some shared experiences together with the family front, et cetera, et cetera. So the last item I put on there was uh, near the end of your senior year, like just before you go to college, you're going to pick one big, like holy, crazy experience that we're going to do together. And I gave her parameters. I said, you need to pick something that in your gut you say, I'm not sure I can do that. Like, I might die doing that. Like, really push it to the edges. And we're going to do it together. And I gave her, you know, I said, well, I gave her example. I said, well, you know, like, we could go, like, you know, cage diving with sharks. She wasn't feeling that either, you know. <laughs> Neither was I, ultimately. But. And so we could go, like, hike up, you know, a big mountain, and I have to, like, sleep overnight with the wildlife and all that. And we're not very camping outdoors type, so she knows that would be, like, risking your life stuff right there. She's like, yeah, Dad, we're not going to do that. And so... Last month, just before she goes off to Cedarville, here's what she chose to do. So, yes, Lily said, Dad, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get in a perfectly good airplane and go up to 13,000 feet, and we're going to jump. Free-falling for 60 seconds. 60 second for 127 miles an hour. Now, doesn't, I mean, Lily's face, like that one with her thumbs up and stuff, like, Alicia, can you put that one back up? Like, doesn't she, she's just killing it, right? She killed it, by the way. I mean, she killed it. I want you to see if there's, if you get any different from my experience. See if you see anything different from my experience here. All right, just stay right there, Alicia, but let me set the scene here a little bit, okay? So we get in this airplane, perfectly good airplane, and I'm strapped to a guy named Matt who's got a strong English accent, and you know me, I'm giving him the full-on, you know, vetting process at this point. I'm like, Matt, you know, where were you born and raised? Who are your parents? You know, I'm like, and then I said, how many times have you done this? And in my head, if it's not at least triple digits, I'm out, like, he said 3,000-ish jumps. I'm like, you don't look old enough to jump 3,000 times out of an airplane that way. And as he's strapping, you know, so I'm strapped to the front of Matt, you know, this crazy. I'm tall enough that if I stood up, Matt's feet would dangle. <laughs> like, the whole scene down at the ground was just a little. So we get in the airplane together, and there's a whole crew of us. There's like seven or eight, I think, jumping, and and Lily and I were at the back, kind of the nearest to the pilot area, so we'd be the last ones out of the aircraft. And so we're climbing up, and you know on the roller coaster climbs, where chick, 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 chick. this was a whole nother level, right? It's like, I thought we were about to the jump point, and the pilot comes on and says, okay, gang, we're halfway to the jump point. Halfway. I look out the window, it looks plenty high to me right now, you know? I felt like it took so long, like we could have been in Los Angeles by this direct flight. Like we just kept sitting there, and it got quieter and quieter in the plane, the higher the plane got. And then we get up to around 13,000 feet. You go above the cloud line, and they slide open the door. 
I've really never been on an aircraft where the door is just slid wide open like that, you know? I, just, I don't know, but that was just a really odd, like, experience. Just slid open and it got immediately like 20 degrees cooler inside. And then as I look up, people just started exiting the airplane. It was the strangest scene, like literally within 30 seconds, there's no one left in the plane but Lily and I and the guys were strapped to. And then Matt, who I'm strapped to, says, okay, slide yourself, you know, slide, you kind of slide down the center because you're strapped to him. And I, told, I can't really stand, so you're kind of sliding towards the doorway area. I wanted Lily to jump first, said, no, we can't do that for weight issues with the plane. We have to go first. So I hear Lily say to me as I'm sliding down towards the door, go, Dad. <laughs> go, Dad. <laughs> so I get to this spot of the door, okay, and so... I get down here, and I get to this point, and he says, okay, sit down. So I sit down. And then, next slide, Alicia, he tells me to look up at the camera <laughs> and smile. <laughs> so that's my attempt, right? So let me set this other scene. Luigi is my camera guy. He's like five foot two from Peru. He weighs like a buck 20. He's hanging on the side of the aircraft. You see that like yellow bar there? That yellow bar runs outside the aircraft. Luigi, that's his legit name. He's hanging on the side of the aircraft with his arm. He's got the camera thing up here. He's got like the clicker in his hand. He's like, Eric, look at me. Look up and smile. Because my head was like this looking down at the ground. I'm like, you look up and smile. (laughs) I mean, it was classic, like every kindergarten parent, right? Your kindergartner, that's like the smile they have in their photos, right? Now, stay with me now. I'm sitting there. He says these six words to me, Matt, the guy I'm strapped to. He leans forward into my ear, and he says, Eric, stick your feet out the door. Now, church, I'm going to confess to you right now. The first thought that went through my head was, why? Why would I do this? Why? I'm looking down at the ground. I'm looking down at the clouds. I'm just, all this is going through my head. And so I take my right foot first. I go like this. This is literally the motion. Okay? Okay, I got my right foot out, and I'm like this. And in my head, why? Why? And then I take my left foot. As soon as I go like this, now little did I know, this was the signal. (laughs) This was the signal for, next slide, Alicia. Thrust me out of, (laughs) look at my mouth. I'm hanging wide open, right? So Matt told me before he, you know, thrust me out, like, they call it skydiving, okay? I, I, I had it in my head that it would be like sky falling, like you just kind of like slide out and drop. Oh, no, like you're diving out of a, like into the pool. So he thrusts you out of the airplane like that, you know? And he said to me, he said, you got two responsibilities on this free fall. Breathe. He says this to me on the ground. I said, Matt, breathe seriously. I mean, I can breathe. He said, no. A lot of people black out. Blackout. How? He says, you just can't take in everything that's happening. You gotta breathe. And then he says, and you gotta do the banana. So what does that mean? 
I said, Pastor Eric doesn't do banana. Like, you know, like the, you know, you've seen those workout videos, Superman banana thing, where you're supposed to like, I'm supposed to bring my legs and like tuck them up this direction. I looked at him, I said, I got no banana, I'm popsicle. That's what I told him. <laughs> popsicle straight down. I told him, next shot there. So here's, here's me. There's a reason my mouth is hanging wide open right there. I want you to know this, right? So he says to me, breathe, breathe. When we exit the plane, we're free falling for 60 seconds. All I could do is, uh, uh, uh. I didn't take a breath for a good 20 to 30. Uh, That's that. That's not me yelling, yay, hey. (laughs) Luigi is following, like he's free falling with me. He's like camera guy. Like he's doing all these hand gyrations, like trying to make me like look happy and smile and like, uh, uh. right there, the thought in my head is I am meeting Jesus today. (laughs) Face to face. This is the end. Like it pushed. I'm, I'm kind of a thrill junkie. You know, those of you know me well, like I've done a lot of crazy stuff, but I knew it was going to be, this was like, I think I'm going to die. 60 seconds, we fall through a cloud. In my head, it's like falling through a mister. In my head, my brain goes, what are you doing? Like, you're falling through a cloud. 127, deafening sound. Luigi's there, say, smile, all this stuff. So church, here's what I want to talk about this morning. When you link your life up with Jesus, when you strap yourself to his life, there's not going to just be one instant. There's going to be multiple instances on the journey where Jesus is going to lean towards your ear and whisper to you, stick your feet out the door. And I want to talk about, like, as we wrap up the Engage series today, here's I want to link this together to say, you know, if we're going to engage in, like, Jesus' missional heart for the nations, I mean, didn't Justin do a great job last week with the message, and he and Bryce up here with the guitars and talking about tuning our lives, right, to God's life, like, our heart's purposes, beating in step with his heart purposes for the brokenness of our world, like, Gang, if we're going to engage with the things that are on God's heart for this world, do you realize we're going to need, there's going to be multiple instances where we're going to need waves of courage to come upon and to stick our feet out the door. I want to look at this from the story of uh, Matthew 14. Open up your Bibles. Matthew 14, this would be Peter's skydiving moment, though different context for him. So Matthew 14, the setting is Jesus sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee. Twelve miles long, seven miles wide. Jesus sends them off, and he needs some quiet space. He goes up on a mountainside to get some prayer, some just center himself, get a little quiet that way, and he just, he sends them off. 
And then he joins them later in the night. So they're off, and just to give you a look, verse 25, during the fourth watch of the night, that's 3 to 6 a.m. You can write that in your Bibles. 3 to 6 a.m., fourth watch. So that tells you the disciples are rowing. Their arms are probably pretty tired by now. The wind and the waves are kind of pushing against them. So it's a lot longer of a haul to where they want to get to, the port that they want to go to, than they envision. So it's like it's late into the night. They're no doubt tired. The wind and the waves are going, and Jesus starts walking towards them. He went out to them walking on the lake. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, They were terrified, I imagine so. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. So if we're going to join Jesus and be in step and engage with him and what he's engaged with in the world, we're going to look at three observations from this story that I think give us insight for our own personal response. And the first one has to do with just that, that line right there when he says, take courage, right? Courageous followership is essential. And the word followership is intentional. I think we need a lot more discussions in church life about followership than we do about leadership. Because I think the posture I understand Jesus is presenting to us is our primary identity is one of a follower to his leadership. So I think we may need like followership seminars and followership book and followership conferences. Because we're going to get a PhD in following his lead. And when you follow his lead, you're going to be thrust into these moments where you're going to need a tremendous amount of courage to do what Jesus is leaning into and whispering for you to do. It's not going to make sense. Peter has never seen anyone walk on water. He's personally never heard of it. He's never seen it. He himself has never. And Jesus now is walking on the water and then calling Peter to join him. Put yourself in Peter's shoes here for a minute. Like Peter's seeing Jesus come towards him. And he knows if he's going to join Jesus on the water, stay with me here, he's got to leave the boat. You can't stay attached to the boat and join Jesus on the water. Do you see this? Right here. And when you, when you strap yourself to Jesus' life, and you start walking with him, and he leans in towards you, and he starts guiding and directing, which, by the way, he's really good at guiding lives. But we have a really hard time loosening the grip on our own personal steering wheel because we're like, I don't know that I want to go there, Lord. He's like, hey, let go of the wheel and let me guide you. Let me direct you. In this case, he's going to birth some, right, all through this series we've been talking about from Carl Ralston's visit to Danny Marquez's visit to the Denius's sharing with us. All along the way, Lord, we get this picture, right, of what's happening in this world around us and how significant are the needs and how broken. And then the message of the gospel and the role of the church and how we're going to engage. He's going to stir some things in our hearts. There's going to be like a holy ambition Big dreams. Some of you have been stirred about some big things like, you know what? What's my one and only life counting for these days? I've been reading most recently through a book by uh, Shannon Sedgwick Davis 
I learned about her through a sequence of events, but she's a mom in San Antonio, Texas, raising two boys. I think they're in like elementary and middle school age, somewhere in there. And she, she got exposed. She's a follower of Jesus, and she got exposed to a massive atrocity in Africa called Joseph Coney and the Lord's Resistance Army, the LRA. If you're familiar with the history, the longest-running African war, Hundreds and thousands of people killed at this guy's hands. A lot of children abducted. It's a massive atrocity on the planet. She gets exposed to this. She's an attorney who's living in San Antonio, Texas, living a a lawyer, suburban life, married, two kids. She comes back from that experience. She says, I cannot go back to the life I've always known. I'm going to give the rest of the days of my life in Jesus' name to shut down the Lord's resistance army. That's like, that's some courageous followership now. So they say of Shannon Davis, you can find her on a soccer field on like Thursday afternoon, and she's on the phone with like the Ugandan military leaders trying to set up some op going on between the government and her. This is a mom down in San Antonio just saying, you know what, we're going to, and Joseph Coney's still on the loose. He's not been captured yet. There's still a mess going on over there, but she's committed to do right here. The same choice that Peter had, Shannon had, when she was exposed. Some of you have been right there. Some of you have been on a mission trip with Remember New, or you've gone over to some other place in the globe, and you've just got your eyes opened up to this, what is happening in our world, and what can I do about it? This is the, he bursts some things. He calls some things out. It's going to take tremendous courage to join Jesus right there. When he leans in and whispers, stick your feet out the door. I don't know. I don't know where this is going to go. Perhaps my 60 seconds of free fall is a bit like the experience Peter had when he stepped out there and it didn't quite, right? You envision how it's going to be and it's way different than you thought it was going to be. But you'll never, you won't even be able to have the conversation unless you release the grip on the boat. So look, I put in your notes, I like what John Ortberg says about the boat. Your boat is whatever represents safety and security to you apart from God himself. Your boat is whatever you're tempted to put your trust in, especially when life gets a little stormy. Your boat is whatever keeps you so comfortable that you don't want to give it up, even if it's keeping you from joining Jesus on the waves. Your boat is whatever pulls you away from the high adventure of extreme discipleship. So gang, today, where's the spirit stirring all through this month, stirring up some things in your heart, maybe birthing a holy, crazy ambition, giving some kind of a big dream to say, do you hear Jesus say, hey, join me out here on the waters. Loosen the grip on the boat. Take a step. Courageous followership. And then now watch what happens with Peter when he does this. Verse 30 But when he saw the wind, so he steps out of the boat, he releases his grip, and then he sees the wind. He was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? So you see, the first wave of courage that's needed is to relinquish the grip on the boat. The second wave of courage we need is to stay stay steady when the actual experience of what you thought it was going to be actually goes a different direction. Like when you step out of the boat and you realize the storm doesn't calm down, when you realize the waves get bigger. Anybody been there? 
So Jesus leans in and says, stick your feet out the door. You loosen the grip on the boat. You say, okay, I'll step out here with you. And it goes from category three to category four storm. So this is the expect setbacks point. So when you courageous fall, second point is to expect setbacks. Listen, when you're strapped to Jesus and you start joining him and engaging him with missional purposes in the world, here's what, gang, here's what we gotta know. Expect setbacks. It's gonna be harder, it's gonna be complicated, it's gonna be more difficult, it's gonna be messier. That's like every Tuesday. That's just Tuesday in the church world. That's like, it's gonna be hard. And we're gonna push into some stuff. And the waves are gonna get stronger and the wind's gonna get. And in Peter's case, he's probably thinking, you notice what Peter did, though, though he, when he steps out, he's got his eyes locked on Jesus, and then all of a sudden he steps out, and he goes, man, these waves, they're a lot bigger. Well, the storm's a lot stronger, and he starts kind of looking at the circumstances around him, and then he starts to sink. So Peter's the only one soaking wet from head to toe. Peter's the only one who's like thinking he's going to drown. He might drown, but hear this, but Peter's the only one who can also talk about what it's like to walk on water. And I love how the old British preacher, Henry, John Henry Jowett, put it. I love this quote. I put it in your notes. Follow me here. It is possible to evade a multitude of sorrows through the cultivation of an insignificant life. Indeed, if a man's ambition is to avoid the troubles of life, the recipe is simple. Shed your ambitions in every direction. Cut the wings of every soaring purpose and seek a life with the fewest contacts and relations. If you want to get through the world, hear this, with the smallest trouble, you must reduce yourself to the smallest compass. Tiny souls can dodge through life. Bigger souls are blocked on every side. As soon as a man begins to enlarge his life, his resistances are multiplied. Oh. If we want to go through life where safety, comfort, and convenience are at the top of the stack, then one thing, don't, don't strap it on with Jesus. If you want your compass to stay small, if you want to stay narrow, if you don't want to engage with the complex issues in our world, don't, don't strap on with Jesus. Because the moment you clip your life to Jesus... He's going to lean in and whisper to you his burdens for what's happening all around us. And believe you me, your resistances will be multiplied. The thought that it's going to get easier and less complicated and less difficult, that's not it. Look what they did to him. They beat him. They whipped him. They put him on a cross. They executed him. There's nothing easy about Jesus' life. He's the most gigantic figure in the history of our world. The compass cannot get any larger than Jesus. And we who strap ourselves to his life, as John Henry Jowett says, this is what we can expect. Setbacks. It's not going to be easy. We're going to get soaking wet. We're going to be afraid we're going to drown. But if we'll step out of the boat, we'll also be talking about walking on water. Shannon Davis's memoir is called, she's writing it now, she just published it, that's what I'm reading through. It's called To Stop a Warlord. I thought about, how great is that? 
a mom raising two kids, an attorney by trade says, you know, I'm going to give my life to stop a warlord. You talk about a woman whose compass of her life, when she comes, it got larger. And her memoir records how hard it's been, how much it's cost her, how many scars, not just her, her husband, her kids, like how difficult it is. But she's also the only one who can talk about, at that point, walking on the water. And so I wonder, in your life and my life, where do you hear? Where do you hear the Savior's voice? Stick your feet out the door. And the courage right there to relinquish the grip on the boat and then the courage to stay steady in the midst of the wind and the waves increasing. You step out of the boat and then everything gets worse or things start spiraling. You feel like you're going to drown, so then you expect setbacks. And now the third element of the story, look what happens. Verse 32 and 33, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Love that part of the story. It's like, Jesus, you could have calmed that before. If I'm Peter, I'd be like, hey, Jesus, that would have been super helpful like 10 minutes ago. Right? How many? How? That's such a commentary in our life with him, right? Like Jesus sometimes calms our circumstances around us, but more often than not, I found he's working on calming me in them. The waves are still as big or happens to be bigger, but he's working with us in them. I suspect he's working on some things for Peter. He knows where the story's going with Peter's life and his leadership. He knows that if Peter's eventually going to be like his compass is going to get larger and larger, his resistances are going to get multiplied, he's going to look back on this scene on the Sea of Galilee and go, that was nothing. Because eventually it's Peter who says to his executioners, crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to die in a manner that my Savior died in. Because they ask him, choose Jesus or choose your life. I he says, I choose Jesus. Almost all the followers in the first century, that's what they had to choose. Talk about his compass couldn't get any larger then. His resistances got multiplied where it says, it's your life now on the line. I bet he probably hearkened back to that time when he stepped out of the boat and the wind and the waves grew strong. Verse 33, then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. This third principle from the story, I think, is sustained belief. So the first wave of courage has to do with that relinquishing the grip on our boat. The second wave of courage is needed when you step out of the boat and you realize circumstantially it went from a category three to a category four. And then the third wave of courage we need is to sustain our belief. In the original leading, in the original calling, in the original ambition that he's birthed in your heart, to sustain belief in it, that it's Jesus who said he'd be with you. It's, here's this picture. Sustain belief that it's his strong right hand who will at just the right moment reach down when the water line's about to swallow you up. Notice Peter didn't drown, that I suspect his commentary when he got in the boat was, oh, Jesus, I thought I was going to die. Yeah. Just like, it's okay, buddy. His strong right hand, right, reached out, pulled him up in the middle of that storm. I think, I think the Lord brought somebody to church this morning for that image right there, for Jesus reaching out to you with his strong right hand right in the middle of your personal storm, right when you feel like, I don't know if you've been saying to yourself recently, I don't know, I'm not sure I can, how did I get into the middle of all of this, and you're rethinking the whole thing, I want you to get the image of Jesus right there, his strong right hand reaching out at just that moment, and will hold you. 
and sustain your belief. I love that picture in the Gospels, right? I believe, help my unbelief. It's like right here. Peter might have, uh, Peter might have been drowning, but Jesus wasn't going to let him. He's with us. He will hold us. He will steady us. He will carry us. Even when all the distractions rise up, even when we begin to doubt and second guess, Jesus will hold us. And there you get that picture, and then they proclaim, truly, you are the Son of God. I can imagine the worship service in that boat that night. And then they get to the shore, they get to the, the harbor where they're going at the end of this scene. So I want you to look back over those three elements, right? Worship team, why don't you guys come on back up? So look back over the three elements, right, in the story. Courageous followership is essential. Expect setbacks and sustain belief. In some measure, the Lord has all of us at 13,000 feet, standing at a doorway, strapped. The image you have is thankfully not strapped to Matt from England, strapped to Jesus of Nazareth. And leaning into you, six words. Stick your feet out the door. For some of you here, or some of you joining us online, you know the first courageous yes, the courageous act of trust there, you know the first step of that is to entrust Jesus with your salvation. Like to say, you know what, Jesus, I... Not just trust him for today, but trust him for all of eternity. To say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died on a cross and rose from the dead. I believe you've got plans and purposes for my life. Jesus, I trust you. Save me. That's, that's like the first act of courageous, stick your feet out the door. And if you've never done that, you can do that this morning. Say, Jesus, save me. I don't know where this is going. But I'll follow. And others of you, you can remember the time when you said that, got in the waters of baptism and proclaimed it. You remember when you said your holy yes to that moment, said, Jesus, I'm all in. And a part of the journey of discipleship, of following him, is he leads you up to the next door, doorway, 13,000 feet in the air. And you know the Savior you're strapped to. He says, okay, stick your feet the door again. So seven minutes from the time I stuck my feet out the door to this scene right here at the bottom. Seven minutes. come into the landing, I told you my legs are too long for him. He's like, hey, Eric, you can't, like, you can't stick your feet down all the way to the ground because he'd be dangling, right? So he, I had to, like this. So I come into the landing like this, and I'm sliding on the grass in church. No kidding. I land on this, and here's my posture. I lay flat out. I'm looking up at the heavens, and I said, Jesus, thank you that I'm alive. I'm alive. 
Lily's over here about 50 feet from me, screaming, yelling, that was amazing, that was awesome. I'm like, Jesus, I'm so thankful to be alive. <laughs> and then we get up, and they let us run and embrace each other. Show the next child, Alicia. When, I, when I'm hugged like this, here's what she says to me. Dad, that took every ounce of courage I had in me. But I'm so glad I did it. And church, I can't help but wonder if that might be a little bit of a preview to the day when we cross through the threshold from this life. And you cross into the life to come and you fall into the arms of your nail-pierced Savior and he's holding you tight. And I bet if we choose to engage, right? Engage his purposes in this world. I bet we might whisper something like, Jesus, that took every ounce of courage I'm so glad I did. Because just like Peter, he could comment on what it's like to walk on water. I wonder all the ways when Jesus leans in and says, stick your feet out the door. And if we can just, by the Spirit's help, muster up just enough courage to slide those feet out the door and just jump. And to trust and to abandon and to say, I'm strapped to the one who knows where this story is going. And it's not all on me but you're a central part of it. It was Matt and Eric all the way to the ground. You know, it wouldn't have been, I couldn't just go peace out somewhere in the middle. It was both of us. I think that's a great picture of this invitation Jesus offers today. And so before I pray, you know, you have an engaged card on your chair. Justin talked about it last week, and I know you've been praying about it this week, and Maybe if you're new this morning, it's the first time. I want you to take a look at that card this week. And I want you to, to work at thinking about where's the Lord calling you to join him on the waves? To take a step. It doesn't have to be, you know, Shannon Davis level. Maybe it is. Maybe God's birthing an ambition like that. It could be going across the seas. It could be going across the street. It could be going somewhere in between. Where do you hear him saying to you? Stick your feet out the door. And when you do, courageous followership, expect, expect setbacks, and you sustain belief by keeping your eyes locked on the one who you know whispers and leads in that command. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that the 27-year history of this church is such a commentary on the many, many men and women, young and old, all through the years who have simply said yes to you, who have courageously followed you, who have courageously served, who have endured setback after setback, who have sustained belief and stayed steady and stayed steadfast. Thank you, Lord, that we're here and we're experiencing this community together as a result of that. So thank you for the legacy of courageous followership here. And God, we know your heart breaks for what's going on 
in our own country as well as all around the world. We know your heart is breaking. And here we just say, Lord, here we are. Use us. Use us. Help us engage with you to join you on the waves, to loosen our grip on the boat. For those that already have and it's just gotten really hard, Lord, would you just renew our strength, give us energy of the Holy Spirit, sustain our belief in what could be and should be. I pray you just take this month that we've spent in this series and just by the power of your spirit, birth some things. Just get this picture of just the spirit birthing ambitions and dreams for what could be and should be in our world. May you find us faithful to say that deeply rooted, courageous yes. In Jesus' name.